0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with
1: former NFL tight end, Logan Paulson and former commanders
0: beat reporter, Craig Hoffman
2: take man podcast from odyssey sports craig hoffman here logan paulson there he played 10 years in the nfl six in washington none for the giants you have to wait a couple of weeks for another <laughs> logan paulson bowl but don't worry it's coming it's coming uh Christmas Eve, San Francisco, final one of the year. Uh, I host the Hoffman Show each and every day, or at least the weekdays, on the team 983 to 6 p.m. Spent five years before that on the Commander's Beat. So, Logan, uh, today we talk about the Giants game, number one, coming up this weekend, bye week next week. Then you get Giants game number two i'm guessing that doesn't affect the strategy at all at least not this week like it's not like they're gonna hold back it's not preseason like this is a must-win game every game is from this point out in the season it's just kind of a weird quirk that happens in the schedule that the nfl decided to throw in there
1: yeah it is a really really odd thing you know if i'm new york i'm probably like a little miffed by the whole thing because it it's you get to kind of run your game plan like you would in a short week you get data from the game then you get a full week to extra week of preparation for the giants again so um that second game you know was probably going to be pretty tough for the new york football giants especially because they're playing philadelphia in between yep so um you know if, if washington can win this first one i think they're in a really good spot to win the second one and if you can win both these games and lap the giants like that's um that's a pretty big deal in terms of making the playoff and you know what kind of opportunity that would be for this team so um really weird scheduling quirk i can't remember ever hearing of anything like this um maybe you have more familiarity with it but um, just seems like a very weird like almost faux pas by the uh by the nfl in terms of scheduling but you know good good thing for good for good thing for washington i think it puts them in a really good spot to to do some good things especially if they can win this game up in the metal lands which you know obviously is not a foregone conclusion because weird stuff happens uh when washington plays up there
2: Yeah, uh, weird stuff happens in that stadium all the time. Uh, Giants also are coming off of the extra rest. They played on Thanksgiving, so they've got a bit of a long week coming into this, Washington, of course, coming off. The Sunday win over Atlanta, and when you look at Washington's offense against this New York defense, it's a tough group. Like they've got yeah. some really good players, especially up front. Uh, their rookie Kavon Thibodeau is starting to really come on as well. Got a ton of pressures on Thanksgiving, hit Dak Prescott a bunch of times, uh, but their back end is also super banged up. So there's, it, they've got good players, but also it seems like a lot of opportunities. Where do you think the most important place to start is? Um, go, yeah. go back to front or front to back?
1: I definitely think the front is probably the most important place to start. I think the, um, you know, the defensive line, specifically Dexter Lawrence is a guy that is just, uh, you know, he's playing like one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. And I feel like we say that every single week he plays true nose guard in that way, but he's just found a nice groove, a nice niche when it comes to stopping the run. He understands how to play inside outside zone, which the guy like, john ridgeway who's also playing those, is is kind of learning how to do so it took him a couple years but lawrence has done an excellent job of that really the best piece on their defense and then he's evolved quite a bit as a pass rusher i think um, when you look at him rushing the passer he understands in those relationships with the center like how to beat the outside pad and it's nothing overly sexy it's just like i'm big and strong but i also have got a little bit of athleticism so Let me turn the shoulder. So I definitely think in terms of matchup this week, him versus Tyler Larson in every single situation is going to be absolutely huge because he's he's just been playing really consistent football. When you look at his PFF grade, I mean, I thought it was a glitch because it's like 90s all the way down. And for those of you unfamiliar with how PFF grades, like a 90 grade is basically like elite to super elite type player. So that's kind of how, like I have not seen a grade this season on PFF. It's been as consistently high as his in the blue. So yeah, that's just to I, give I you think an idea that of how Cam
2: Curl. Whenever Cam Curl was like the number one safety uh, in the league, like on average their grades, it was like low 80s. So yeah. for a guy to be in the 90s that consistently, it's absurd. Because at other positions, you have guys mid 80s that are best in the league.
1: Balling, right? And so it's so it's kind of unbelievable. Like that's just how well he's playing. And so he's the big piece. Next to him is uh, Leonard Williams, who again is a guy more like. DeForest Buckner, in terms of skill set, long arm, kind of athletic, rangy, and he's a good football player. Grading in the 70s according to PFF, but I think there's a guy there that you can kind of exploit in terms of running at him. He likes to gap release. He's big. He's fast. He's athletic. He's a much. He's a good pass rusher. So really, kind of a dynamic duo there, much like John and uh, Payne here or um, Duran you know, uh, in terms of good defensive tackles. But I think Leonard freestyles a little bit more and exposes them to some gashes in the run game. I think their edge players are okay. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is coming along. You mentioned some of the pressures he had against the the Cowboys, for example. I think those pressures are a little bit inflated because of the scheme that Wink Martindale runs. And we'll talk about that more because I think that's maybe the biggest piece of what they do is the wink Martindale system. But Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously a tremendous athlete, definitely finding his legs. But in terms of pure pressures that he's creating on his own, not quite there, but definitely someone you have to be aware of. Um, so I think that's, that's for sure it. And then the other guys on the other side are just kind of – they're fine. You know, big body kind of edge players, nothing too crazy. Uh, their middle linebacker, it's Jalen Smith, who's the guy that got kind of run out of town in Dallas and run out of town in Green Bay. I think he's playing better, but obviously uh, is somewhat limited. Um, And then they have a rookie, uh, Mitch McFadden, who again is a rookie player who I think is playing well, but obviously you see some limitations. And again, I think this whole front outside of Dexter Lawrence is elevated and in some cases hurt by the scheme that Wink Martindale runs. And that applies to the secondary as well.
2: So what is the scheme that he runs that is so dangerous? I mean, he's a guy that's got a tremendous reputation. Obviously they are way above where a lot of experts pundits certainly us included thought the Giants would be this year there's a lot that's gone right for them but it, mm-hmm. it is a bit on a razor's edge uh, sure. offensively and defensively but defensively with Martindale like what's the thing that that yeah. is so precarious
1: and I think you know in our preview of the division before the season started we said like the biggest additions for this group were on the coaching staff and wink Martindale yeah. was kind of big asterisk big highlight there for us and so um, and I think he just is a guy who's very 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 aggressive you know most defenses are trying to like oh how do we match this concept let's like what's our check and they're they're a little bit more reactive um but i do think that um wink is like nope you know i'm dictating the tempo here we are going to pressure a lot we're going to bring some type of single high coverage with some type of blitz underneath mostly a dog which is like you know they run a um an odd front so they've got those three three big interior defensive players and the edge players and technically those edge players are classified as outside linebackers. So when you bring all five of those guys, that's technically a blitz. So they're bringing that kind of pressure a lot because they want those guys on the edge to rush a lot and they get those one-on-one matchups. But they also bring a lot of exotic stuff. They bring nickel safety, they, they green dog, they bring zero. And if I think if you guys think back to, um, The chicago game the um detroit game detroit brought a ton of zero and we just did not have a very the the commanders did not have a good answer for it so if i'm wink i look at that game and i say i'm going to turn the temperature up and just see what happens you know i'm just going to see what happens and the other thing that i think is interesting is we mentioned that their edge players were just okay we mentioned that letter williams kind of gap releases he kind of technically technically plays over the tackle in their defensive structure right as opposed to a true three technique um, and so attacking the perimeter of this team is gonna be much better for the run game. But all of the stuff that they've been successful with, successful with over the last couple of weeks, the commanders I'm talking about, has been this duo downhill a gap run. And you're running at the best part of their defense if you do that consistently. So do you change that? What's your plan for third down? What's your plan for first down? Because he'll bring zero. Winkle bring zero like you know, most teams are like, oh, we're going to bring zero on third and seven plus because we like the matchups for the corners. He's like, no, I'll bring it on first down. Oh, it's second and four. Yeah, I'll bring it here, too. So there's not right. really like a lot of rhyme or reason to what he I mean, I'm sure in his mind there is. But when you're watching it, there's not like a pattern that unfolds. And then on they play a ton of man, which is crazy because Corey Jackson's hurt. Fabian Moreau, who's their number one. Not, is that Fabian Moreau's name? The guy that uh, was Fabian here. Moreau, yeah, yeah, it was here. Um, is also hurt. So they're playing a lot of man with guys who are not overly talented. Like, their safeties are okay, right? So it just, like, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But that, I think, is the beauty of the defense when it's executed effectively, is that you can create pressure and force the ball out of the quarterback's hands before those matchups on the outside, which favor the offense traditionally, can be actualized. Now, if you look at the Dallas game, for example, it, like, he was heating them up in the first half, and it really – was kind of befuddling to Dax. They didn't have a good solution, and more um, the def- the offensive coordinator for Dallas Base was like, "All right, well, we got to we got to hit we got to hit a big play on one of these zeros." And so they just stayed max protection. They didn't have the horses outside to match up with Ceedee Lamb. They catch a big play for like forty yards, and then they they kind of quiets down the zero stuff. So, what is Scott Turner's plan for the zero? That is like. The I want to say one of the main storylines, not because they do it a lot. I mean, he did it 10 times, which is a lot by NFL standards against Dallas. But if I'm watching the Detroit game and I'm wink, and this is what I like live and die by heavy pressures, zero specifically, I'm like, I'm I'm not going to say I bring it every play, but I'm going to definitely up that percentage pretty significantly.
2: Yeah. And it puts their corners in bad spots. um, Yes. Because if you can pick it up, I mean, CD lamb had a field day. Against what number thirty? Uh, I'm trying to remember what is which guy that is. Their depth chart is so. I think it's McLeod. Um, yeah, their depth, depth chart is a a so all over the place yeah. because they've had so many injuries. Um, no, nope, but it's not Nick McLeod. It's it. Whoever thirty was. Uh, for yeah, them, Darren
1: like, Darren Holmes or Dar- Darnay, Darnay Holmes. Darnay. He's, yeah,
2: he's he's fourth on their on their depth chart. Uh, that is yeah, Darnay Holmes. Um, he got toasted by lamb time after time and you know because he's like he's their slot guy and dallas is like okay we'll just put cd in the slot and you know even if you're going to heat us up cd is going to beat this guy so badly he's going to win so quickly that it's not going to be a problem if you're you know if you're scott One, do you even give Taylor those kinds of options? Where you, you know, whether it's Curtis who can win quickly, Jahan can win quickly, Taylor can, uh, Terry can obviously win quickly, and you just trust Taylor to to be like, hey man, find thirty, find find the mismatch, find your guy, because Taylor's numbers against man are way better better than they are against zone like it, it's two different quarterbacks when he can pick out a matchup and be like, I'm going to trust my guy to win. And he knows exactly what route that guy's running and, and can just anticipate and trust him to win. Like he's a better quarterback when he's got to sit out and read zone and figure out, all right, this guy dropped here or cut underneath here. I gotta, I gotta make this throw in a tight window. Like it's, it's not pretty. Um, and so Do you you even put that on Taylor knowing he's better in those situations and and also that he's mobile enough and and quick enough to avoid some sacks? Or do you just be like, screw it, we're going to keep running the ball exactly like we have been? You can blitz away, but eventually we're going to pop one because your guys aren't good enough and aren't disciplined enough to stay in their gaps. And we trust our guys to to hit the blocks. And we do enough with our run game to to pop yeah. a few big ones here and there. You know, we can they. You know, Scott should be able to use their aggressiveness against them. You know, whether it's uh, some of the jet sweep stuff that Dallas did, or you know that obviously Washington has been doing, um, or or whatever other counters off of some of these run plays, some of the play action shots. Uh do you just kind of stick with the plan or do you go you know what I think we can maybe dial it down a little bit and give Taylor some chances to make one-on-one throws and hit big plays in the same way that Dallas did
1: Yeah I mean I'm really uh you know you got me thinking now Craig and I I love having these conversations with you because like it kind of stimulates something different So like my initial perspective on this game was like just just be conservative, just be as conservative as you can be because like the defense should match up really well with Daniel Jones in this offense, technically on paper. And we'll talk about that more in a second. Just don't lose the game, be more conservative, but then you bring up an excellent point. Like Taylor, obviously the percentages that speak to that too, but also you see he is almost, he's better, you know, like look at the Tampa Bay games, both Tampa Bay games. Um, Todd Bowles is a guy who likes to bring pressure, not the same types of pressure as um, Wink Martindale, but likes to bring a lot of pressure and Taylor kind of seems to rise to those occasions. Like when he's not overthinking it, when the ball can be out decisively, he's pretty good. You know, he's pretty dang good in those situations. So, you know, I was a little bit nervous about how the offensive line was going to handle it. But I think when you look at where he's been successful this year, is it's been under pressure and getting the ball out of his hand quick, right? And so I think that maybe, maybe to your point, like that speaks more to Taylor's skill set. Now I don't think you want to live in that, you know, fifteen To 30 times a game but if you can say hey taylor here's 10 opportunities go make the right decision get the ball to your hand quickly i think that is where you want to live right because you know again it's not every play is not a blitz it feels like that sometimes but it's not it's not as like there so if you get him to win in 10 man-to-man situations plus right and then he kind of manages those other 15 throws like he did last week where he's ended up with 25 throws in the game against zone or some variation i think that's right The other thing about blitzing all the time, as you mentioned, the run game is when you're blitzing all the time, sometimes you get caught, right? So a lot of times there's like a line movement associated with the blitz. And sometimes guys will get walled out of their gap because like you're running right into the blitz, the double team hits on the guy looping and there's huge creases. So if you watch the Dallas game, for example, there's massive creases in that game. And I think that's part of the reason, because when you look at their personnel, you think, man, they should be pretty good at stopping the run. You know, like they've got pretty good edge setters, their interior is pretty good, but they, they get gashed because Wink is so aggressive, right? Because he's always bringing these pressures. So I do think you want to stick with who you are. And like you mentioned the variation, I think that's a really critical part. Like you look at Dallas, they kind of lull you to sleep with something. Then the counter is the thing that hits you with the big play. Not the counter run, but I'm saying like the counter or the complimentary piece to the run that they've been calling a lot. So if Scott can do that, which he, shown, which he showed to me last week, he can do. I think that bodes really well. Um, and also I think the other thing is just like, do you change your running approach because like I said duo versus this team doesn't feel like the right decision but they're so good at executing it I don't want them to take take a big departure from things that have been going well if that makes sense
2: yeah it definitely does um, and and I think that one of the things we've talked about is like Taylor is less relevant than most quarterbacks to what the offense does because they have taken so much off of his plate, which is a good thing. Yeah. And they shouldn't all of a sudden be like, Hey, let's put a bunch back on right. his plate. That, that would be a very stupid way to operate. Um, but I, and, and then the other thing too, is like, I think you also, like you said, have some, some blueprint, not only from the Dallas game, um, but from the Detroit game where yeah. you have two teams that have two backs that, Are kind of different styles, and and, you know, one a power back in Zeke or Jamal Williams, one more of a speed guy, Pollard, DeAndre Swift, and they were really effective. Like both backs had really big plays that they were able to get in those games. And if if you can, you know, kind of lean on that formula, figure out, okay, well, we think Robinson can be effective here. We think that Gibson can be effective here like we're talking about one of the bottom third run defenses in the nfl so i would think that there's plenty of opportunities there and then you get your play action stuff then you also you know and the other thing too with taylor real quick is like because he knows this offense so well can you put a little bit more on him mentally and can some of these runs Mm -hmm. and say like hey man if you get if you get a man-to-man look and you like it go for it Right. And you don't give him that all the time, but in certain situations where you think you might have a blitz in a man-to-man situation in a matchup you like on like a second and four, where you still have a third and short if you miss it, like those are the kinds of situations where you can take your shots, take your opportunities, and if Scott really like kind of masters the situations this week, and Taylor can handle that it seems like there's an opportunity for this offense to be pretty productive. Um, Obviously, you know, as we'll talk about, you don't necessarily need to be great. It's not like the giants are going to put up a ton of points theoretically. Um, But, and obviously giving up short fields and turnovers would be very, very bad uh, as they always are. But, it seems like if they can kind of master the situations and guess, guess, slash, have educated guesses right on what Martindale's trying to do, there should be a lot of opportunities in both the run and pass game. But it, it will still stay, starting with this rushing attack that has been so good for Washington basically since week three.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, I think you bring up some good points. There and you, and you reminded me of something while you were talking. Um, this team the giants are not a great tackling team usually teams that play a Mm -hmm. lot of zero coverage are very good tackling teams and and why that is is because what you're what you're what you're counting on is that the ball is out of the hand quick right is that you get some type of line stun or pressure that forces the back to bounce out and he's as he's bubbling you make the tackle the thing that really sticks out to me is even though they're getting they're getting the ball out quickly right Um, is that when they rally to make the tackle, they often miss the tackle. So there's a couple, I think it was against Baltimore, where they heat up Lamar, right? Lamar is just kind of on his back foot throwing the ball out. There are defenders rallying to tackle. The guy slips a tackle and then falls on like a third and 15 for a first down, right? So you mentioned the bigger backs there. I think that is something, again, to look at because they're not, especially on the perimeter, they're not great tacklers. You know, they're not guys who are trying to stick their face in there and mess you up. So I think that is something to think about in terms of running style from the backfield. And also, again, in terms of getting the ball out of your hand, like Terry's one of the best in the league at breaking tackles. Curtis is very excellent in that area as well. So being okay with saying, hey, maybe we check the ball down here and and kind of I don't want to say count on a guy to break a tackle, but much like you did against Jacksonville, get the ball out, let those guys make a play for you in space, that might be a viable solution as well. So kind of to your point about Taylor finding the right thing. I think because their tackling is so poor in certain situations, it doesn't need to be the perfect call all the time. And you can say, oh, just get the ball out of your hand and then let's go ride and see what happens. So, again, I think that those are all very viable, valuable points. Um, And, you know, Scott has not shown a tremendous desire to, to, even with Carson, kind of have a lot of cans and a lot of quarterback control in the run or pass game, which, you know, like uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that if the quarterback can handle it. Like, cause I came up with Kyle and Sean right. and like, they want to give those guys that responsibility because it lets you be in a more efficient place. And when you watch the New York offense, Daniel Jones does a ton of that. When you watch Atlanta's offense, Marcus Mariota does a ton of that's one of the reasons the run game for them is so good. But, um but it, one of the benefits of not doing that is it let's the quarterback kind of play loose and free and fast. So if, if that's the goal, then it allows Taylor to play free and fast. Then I think that's the right idea by Scott as much as, what you're describing there in terms of, um, you know, giving him more control um, puts the offense as a whole in a better position. Maybe it makes him a little bit less comfortable. So it's just something to think about. I, I don't think they'll do that because they haven't done it. But this right. would be an excellent week to do it because you want answers versus zero specifically.
2: Yeah, definitely. It, it just seems very situational. But, you know, they also, oh, you know, so yeah, sorry. Go
1: ahead. we haven't talked about what zero is at all on the show. So yeah. should we just talk about that real quick? Yeah.
2: So zero zero blitz is is uh you know if you think of one high as having one safety to cover two or two high having two safeties back or, or one or two deep zone players right. right zero is zero is none of that it's it's man to man across the board uh for as many receivers that as, as are eligible and everybody else blitzes that is that is cover zero there's no there are help. no zone players at all nevertheless any zone players over the top.
1: Right, so there's no help involved in that. And you do have variations of zone where like a defensive end will drop out and be kind of like the plug player or like the guy in the middle of the field to kind of give those guys some help. But on the whole, it's like you and me solo. And usually like the advantage of one high, for example, is you can kind of leverage the receiver towards that single high player, kind of play outside leverage, force him inside, condense those throwing windows, let that uh, middle field player run to the football. In zero, it's like good luck you know like you're 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 by you too you truly are by yourself and now there are rules to zero like you want to force the receiver toward the sideline because the sidelines basically an extra defender all those different things but it becomes very very challenging to And plus that's a longer throw right you want to force long throws in zero but again like with give it it's so interesting looking at them because you look at their depth chart and you're like adora jackson's excellent for this but then there's nobody else you know like there's nobody else that's really outstanding but those guys are and i think it's i think credit goes to wink and how he coaches the blitzes because they are able to get home because there are teams that run a lot of a fair amount of zero but they're not as coached up on it in terms of the timing in terms of you know all these different variables and they can't um they can't get home with the pressure right and and teams get blocked up that's not the case with this team like they're very they they know who they are and they're very good at it and uh, it, it pays dividends for them because it's covered up a secondary that's not great.
2: Right. Uh, they do commit a ton of penalties as well. They're sixth in the league in penalties overall. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of those are procedural penalty penalties on offense as well, but like Dallas game, there's a ton of defensive holding. There's a ton of illegal contact. Um, so if you get... Jahan Dotson and and Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin on these corners that aren't very good in Cover Zero situations where they've got no help. They're gonna grab. They're gonna hold. And you know whether or not that stuff gets called could have a big impact on the game on Sunday. So knock on wood if if that turns out to be a story that those calls are made correctly in Washington's right. favor. Right.
0: Okay. Picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?
2: Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I'm Craig Hoffman. Appreciate you listening. Uh, would love you to listen as often as as you like. Uh, to make that easy, all you got to do is subscribe. Uh, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, give us a, give us a like. You know, if you like it, or or just fake it, do it for us. Uh, and then subscribe. Uh, whether it's on 106.7 The Fans page, on my page at Craig Hoffman, uh, or on Odyssey Sports, uh, you can find whether it's clips or the entire episode of the entire podcast in all of those places. So Logan, uh, offensively for New York, you want to talk about variants, man, when their offense gets cooking, it looks incredible. Daniel Jones. You're like, wow, is he good? Saquon gets out there. He's shaking people. Darius Mm -hmm. Slayton makes some of the best catches you'll see in the NFL. Uh, you know, Richie James is quick. Like they, they get cooking and you're like, wow, this offense is potent and then you look up and they haven't scored in five drives and you just doesn't like watching them feels very different than the results ultimately are why why does that happen what is it that they cannot do to to ultimately produce points on any kind of consistent basis yeah i mean it is interesting cuz they do
1: yeah they are very streaky so let's just start with like my my core thought about this offense is that they are they're they're, they're kind of similar to Washington is that their offensive line is not a great pass blocking group and they are doing everything in their power to insulate them from that, from having to pass protect. And so what you'll see is they have they rely heavily on the run game. And they do – they are um, – what's the offensive coordinator's name? His name is Mike Kafka. Kafka does a really good job of kind of being game plan specific in terms of their approach, like against Jacksonville where they play like this heavy, heavy run front. They bring in extra nose guards and all this stuff. They were in 11 personnel like 85% of the time. And then against Seattle, they were in a lot of, like, 13 and 12. And the type of plays you run out of that personnel changes pretty dramatically. So, obviously, he is doing his homework about what stuff works versus which team, right? So, to that point, I think it's interesting because, like, um, I think they do run outside zone. They don't run it super great. They don't run it like Atlanta does it. But you might see some more outside zone this week. You might see some toss-crack stuff because that is stuff that's hurt this team in the past. And he seems to go through the archive and say these runs have hurt them. And that's the other thing about this team, is they have a lot of variation in terms of their run game. They run gap scheme, which is like a, you know double teams and pullers. They run duo, which we've talked about. They run tight zone. They run wide zone. They run pin-pull stuff, which, again, a lot of teams kind of have one thing that they're pretty good at, Atlanta outside zone, and then they dabble with pin-pull, right? But to see – then, then they run RPOs. They run zone reads. So there's a lot of play volume. in. And, and I mentioned how at the line of scrimmage, Daniel Jones is like – Calling and checking. One of the things about having high play volume is it gives you lots of answers, but you are also less effective at running those plays. So when you watch those plays, it's very it can be very messy looking, right? Guys not fitting double teams correctly, guys not targeted the right person, free runners in the hole, because you're not speaking to what that guy or what that position does well.
2: Right. Frankly, that's what Washington was doing earlier in the year. Like they yes. were running way too much stuff. And we right. talked about this extensively on Wednesday's podcast. And we talked about it in our chat with John Bates yesterday, like yeah. how narrowing down the run game for Washington actually helped them be better at the thing that they were doing because they were doing it more often. They are, you know, they owned their, their stuff, (laughs) you know, they own their offense as opposed to feeling like they're just throwing a bunch of darts at the wall.
1: Right. And so to compound that, you know, then they have to insulate the offensive line and pass protecting situations. So they run a lot of play pass. They run a lot of keeper. They run all of this stuff, all to avoid them getting into, Third and non-manageable situations, third seven, third and eight, because they really can't pass pro. So when they're in those situations, expect screen, expect draw, right? Because they don't, they know that they're not good in that area, right? So, to me, the variance you see is that they don't own certain aspects of their offense, right? So like a, like one mental mistake is going to be huge. The next element is physically at the skill position players. Obviously, we mentioned Slayton, but like their second round pick, uh, what's his name? Waddle, Waggle? No, that's not the same.
2: Uh, um, Wondell Robinson, you're talking about? There you go,
1: Wondell run Robinson. Out? Wow, yeah. I was not even close. Yeah, Wondell Robinson, who's a good football <laughs> player, has been out. Uh, Slay, who was their number number one receiver when the season started, is out with an ACL. Everyone remembers him turning uh, it on the Shep- turf.
2: Shepherd, you mean?
1: Shepherd. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. And then Collins, who was like their number three guy, tore his Achilles in training camp. Right. All of these guys are out. Their tight ends are kind of a uh, the land of mismatched toys outside of the starter, Daniel Bellinger, right? They've got like, I got converted quarterbacks. They've got all these different types. So w- when the scheme wins, when the scheme wins the play, it looks crisp. Boom, balls out. Excellent. Aaron, uh, Daniel Jones, nice big arm. He's got a scrappiness and a competitiveness to his game, which is fun to watch, right? There's people all around. Him. The offensive line loses quick. He's taking huge shots. He's running. He's getting smoked by linebackers. He is fighting for his life almost every single play it feels like. And he is. you mentioned this earlier this season. Like He steals first downs for him all the time. So that's a yeah. big reason the offense is successful. But when the scheme doesn't win, they don't have the horses outside of Slayton to win consistently right? So there's times where the play passes up and everything is matched and he's just standing there. I mean, even the freaking check down is matched and it's just like, all right, I guess I got to run around back here and like try to dive forward and get smoked by this linebacker, right? And so that to me is are the other are variables. There's a lot of volume in the offense. There's a lot of penalties that they take kind of surprisingly on first and second down in terms of false starts. They have a couple holds, right? Which again puts them back, but it's like the grittiness of the group, right? It's like, Daniel Jones, just like it feels like he's just willing them forward, and it's never super pretty. It's never super clean. They kind of just slug and claw and scratch until they find a big play. right? If you look at the Green Bay game, uh, Saquon Barkley busts, busts off like a 75-yard run. The Dallas game, uh, Daniel Jones throws a dime to Slayton, right? Jacksonville, dime to Slayton on a go, right? It's not like a nuanced yep. route he's just like go ball, right? Or it's the playoffs and packs comes across. Dudes open right in the middle of the field. Huge play, right? So yep. against Houston, that happens. So that's kind of what happens is they kind of just slug it out. They're just like the, the drunk dude at the bar who's just throwing haymakers until something lands. Then you're like, okay, they're in a good spot now, and we're in trouble.
2: Yeah, that's the thing, though. They will land some. They like, will. And part of that is a volume thing. Like <laughs> yeah. they will just like the drunk guy at the bar. Is so perfect yeah. because that guy doesn't know he's getting hit. That guy doesn't know. <laughs> it's not, it's not working. He's just out there way laying. You know, they're not even, they're not high quality shots. No, no, uh, no technician is looking at him and be like, man, that guy knows how to box. <laughs> no, he's just, he's just out there trying to make contact. And, yeah. and the giants will, despite no matter how many times it doesn't work, despite how many times they might get sacked, you know, whatever. They will continue to push the ball down the field vertically. Yeah. And that is something that stands out like, you know, stands out like a sore thumb, stands out tremendously when you watch them. You're like, wow, they really push the ball down the field. Yeah. It's also hilarious watching the plays in between because, yeah, they have, you know, they're, they're running game, whatever. Um, some read options you are like, OK, that's pretty nice. And then you have Daniel Jones who just miss wildly on some very simple throws. It's- um, if he could make layups, like he'd be a really good quarterback. He he just is not very good at making layups. But man, he's got a cannon, and he will lace balls into tight windows. He will try stuff on back shoulders, especially with Slayton. Like they will try to get the ball into Racy James' hands quickly and kind of let him turn into a punt returner on the go. Like they they will do a lot of stuff to try to generate big plays. And I think this is actually a really gigantic credit to Brian Dable. I know you know saying like, oh yeah, they've got kind of a haphazard throw everything at the wall offense is not exactly the, the best compliment for, for a coach because you'd like, be like, oh, no, they have a distinct identity and they do this. He knows they're talent deficient. This is year yeah. one for him. He's, right. trying, he's trying to kind of throw a wild amount of variance into the game. When you're the better side, variance is bad. When you're good, you want to just be able to play the game straight right. up and let the fact that you're good lead you to victory over the team that you're better than. And the Giants, right. from a talent standpoint, are not that good. And so, what Dable has done is found a way to maximize what he's got by adding a ton of variance to the game. And frankly, it's worked. Like they're seven and five. Yeah. Hilariously, both Washington and New York are negative point differential on the year, despite being playoff teams. At this point, it's pretty close. Washington's got it down to minus three. They obviously had a couple of big losses early in the year, which absolutely killed that statistic for them. But the Giants are minus seven on the year. And so, yeah, sometimes they're going to get their butts kicked and it's going to be pretty substantial. Uh, and other times uh, they'll it'll work and they'll put up 30 points with a bunch of guys that doesn't seem possible to score 30 points in the NFL with. And that's the yeah. exact opposite, by the way, of what Washington's doing, where Washington is like, yeah, we know our defense is great, so we're right. just going to ride that. And if we can shorten the game and then have a little bit of variance you know, towards the end, we feel like we can stop you or if Heineke's got a cook in the final two minutes, he can get the job done. It's right. two very different approaches, um, but it's but because similar, the talent, but similar but, rosters. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, they're not that different. It's just, I think, yeah. I think the biggest difference difference obviously is Washington's defense is it's excellent. Good. New York's defense is not. And because yeah. of that, they'd rather get in the shootout or Washington would like to have a little bit of variance in a low scoring game.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really, that's, Awesome analysis. You know, I, I love you, I love how you describe Daniel Jones. Like he there's times you're like, man, this guy is like I He's would love awesome. Him. I would love him to be down here in Washington, right? Yeah,
2: and then the next drive happens. And
1: then then he will miss something. You're like, why did you do that? Like that's a easy, easy. Like that other thing you did was way harder, right? Right. And um, and so the other thing I will say is that like they they know again offensively they're deficient. And so they do have like a wrinkle each week that is kind of like this is our thing, you know, versus Jacksonville, they run a ton of RPO versus um the uh, the Cowboys for example they run a ton of keeper stuff right so i think that's again speaking to the variants they try to just keep you a little off kilter until they can get one of these big plays that, that that puts them in position for a score right they run wildcat i mean they do all sorts of craziness right they're trying to get touches for Saquon Barkley in space they're trying to do so like it's just there's a lot of offensive volume in and i think again like there's two ways to go with it right one is like, let's see if we can find a hole, like by throwing a lot of stuff at them. And then the other way is Washington, where it's like, hey, we, we kind of know what we are. We know our defense is good. Let's lean into that as much as we can and speak to elevating skill sets. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that that is kind of where they're at. And, again, the one thing, the kind of X factor for me, you know, everyone talks about Saquon, everyone talks about Slayton. I think Saquon, it'll be interesting to see how he plays. Because as of today, I don't know if we know whether their offensive line is going to be healthy. They've been really – banged up. I think Evan Neal might be back. I think um their center might be back. So and their right guard might be back. So obviously that would be huge for them. I don't know, we won't know that until later in the week probably, but right. If they're back, Saquon plays better with those guys in, but he hasn't been playing well recently because the offensive line's been so banged up. So the 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 variable that I think is so interesting in this is Daniel Jones because you said this early in the season and when you watch him it becomes so apparent why he's so important. It's 3rd and 11. Nobody's open. He gets hit. He spins off a tackle. He falls forward for an 11-yard gain. It's not like a pretty, like, oh, let me just run out of bounds. It's like, I'm getting hit. I get hit by the linebacker. I turn around. I spin down, and it's a first down. And they, he keeps them in games off of little stuff like that. There was a play against um, Baltimore, for example, where he uh, he's running, there's nobody, everybody's covered. He shakes the defensive end. He falls forward for a four-yard gain. It's second and six instead of a loss of whatever, right? And it's not like Lamar Jackson back there, but he is the guy that has been able, through just kind of sheer force of will, to just keep them on schedule in certain situations. So he makes mistakes, like you said, but he also is the guy that's like, gutting out, getting shot in the chest by a middle linebacker who the offensive line didn't block to complete a slant route for a first down. You know what I mean? Like his toughness and his grit are the thing. It's propelling this team forward, and um, he deserves a lot of credit for where they're at. He deserves a lot of – he's like – it's weird. He's like a fireman who starts fires and then puts them out himself. Like it's just really uh, the, weird. Uh, the thing. arsonist fireman. Yeah, the arsonist fireman. But he, I, I have a lot of respect for that physical – kind of will to win that he seems to be showing almost every single play for them.
2: Yeah, he is a guy who's also had some monster games against Washington in his career. Mm. Um and he's actually performed pretty well against the NFC East in general. Um like you look at, you know, the numbers against Philly, the numbers against Dallas, the numbers against Washington, they're actually not that different in terms of like yardage and things. He's got nine touchdowns to three picks in his his nine career games against, or sorry, his, his five career games against Washington. So we're talking nine touchdowns in, in five games. There's something about this team that he has played really well. And as you mentioned off the top of the show, like Meadowlands have kind of been a house of horrors for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, so weird stuff tends to happen. But you look at the statistics, even just this year, um they're middle of the pack in third down conversions offensively, which doesn't make any sense based on anything else we've said. Like they get in bad down and distances all the time. Um, They're, you know, throwing balls downfield, low percentage completions. And so all of a sudden it's second and 10, they run it. It's third and nine. And then lo and behold, Jones is the guy who bails them out uh, sometimes with his arm, but often with his legs. And I think that is obviously something to monitor. in this one is, is what kind of damage does he do with his legs? And then just, does he have another day? Like, does he have these days that he seemed to always have against Washington where he plays way out over his skis uh, and is able to control it? The the last thing I want to ask you, though, real quick, we touched about this uh, on this a little bit on Wednesday. Uh, I know Ron was asked about it, and he said, ultimately, it was a good thing what happened against Mariota. On Sunday, but the zone read element and quarterback mm-hmm. run is something that it, they they will major in. Um, and you wonder if that's like after watching the Atlanta yeah. tape, their their game plan quirk, if you will. You said they always kind of pick something. Um, how do you think Washington can handle this version of the zone read compared to what they did against Atlanta, where Mariota had a really really good day on the ground?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know when you look. At, so I've heard say, oh, like Daniel Jones runs the zone read better than Marcus Mariota or whatever. I couldn't agree disagree with that more like Mariota is very good at it he he's very good at the fake he's very good at pulling it he's very good at reading it and people think oh it's just his own read you got to read it right but I've been with teams where we've tried to install that and the quarterback just they don't have a feel for it right it just doesn't work for them so Mariota is that way Daniel Jones is good at it but I think Mariota is better and I think what I would say is if I was if I was Jack and if I was Washington I would Really look at the Dallas game because again that's a very good defensive front. I look how they attack that group. I look at um, also their solution versus, gosh, I forget the team. They had another kind of interesting game plan solution. It was really centered around the keeper game, right? So I love that you bring up the zone read thing because I think they'll do that more than they have shown recently. It's like it's it's so. Let me just put that in context. The Giants run it probably four times a game right maybe five times and it's usually in the red zone or th- third and short situations and they're like we need to kind of get a get a, a play here right so that's kind of when they used it i think it'll be more in the field to your point also the keeper stuff has been big for them even when they're not playing good defensive fronts so to me the solution there is just play it the way you played james played at the last play of the game mm-hmm. run right at the quarterback run right at him every single play because if you can kill their keeper game that's like 10% of their offense. And if they're running it, you know, if they're running the zone read or they're planning on running it 10 more plays, you're killing essentially almost half of their offense, 33% of their offense, just killing those ten, those 20 plays. So that would be my thing is like, have a plan for him leaving the pocket and when he's trying to read the defensive end and just negate it. If that's their solution, don't like screw it, basically. If they want to go RPO, obviously that becomes a little bit more problematic. But I do think you have played RPO relatively well because you ran it a lot in training camp and your defense is pretty familiar with it. So I think if you can kind of manage whatever that wrinkle is, whether it's the zone read, whether it's the keeper, RPO, let's say they run a little bit more outside zone. I think I don't, like I said this at the top, because like outside zone, everyone says, oh, look at Atlanta. That would be a great game plan wrinkle for for New York. No one's going to run it like Atlanta runs it. Like right. I just, I, like it's, I hate to break it to people like who think this was like the doom and gloom, like, New York is good at running the football. They're not Atlanta. Yeah, so nobody's I think, Atlanta except for San yeah.
2: Francisco. So we can have that discussion on Christmas Eve.
1: <laughs> right. And I, so I think John and Payne are going to wreck that shop. You know what I mean? I think even um, John Ridgeway, who had a tough time against Atlanta, is going to beat this center up. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think it's more in line with what you're thinking. Quarterback run, quarterback keeper. What's the play action pass pack? That kind of stuff is what you need to account for. Because like you said, they can find big plays off of these kind of weird wrinkly things. And it's not like trick plays. It's just they have a deep offensive bag. So what's going to be on docket for this week?
2: Yeah, the Washington's speed is very helpful here. Um the fact yes. that they play a lot of smaller bodies uh that can play bigger. Um yeah. you know, they play Cam Curl in the box a ton. Jamin is obviously incredibly fast. Um, you know, if they can use some of that team speed to maybe even overcome a mental mistake, just run around it. Um that yeah. obviously is very helpful having all those guys on the field. The other thing though, um, you know, obviously it's not as big of a deal as if you're playing a team with a ton of threats at wide receiver, but St. Juice, you know, as far as mm. we know, could be out for for a couple of weeks here um you know hopefully he's back for the next giants game this buy coming at a good time for him um but some of the the tight man coverage that you might play against a, an rpo game where mm-hmm. you know, yep. hey we're pulling it we got to make sure we ha- we're on top of the slant we're on top of this and, and a lot of players are going to be flowing towards the run puts a lot on the DBs. Um not having St. Just is obviously not ideal. Um so we'll see what Christian Holmes can do. We'll see what Danny Johnson can do. Uh Rashad Wildgoose and obviously Kendall Fuller uh being in that number one spot while St. Just is out.
1: Craig, you ate your Wheaties today or something, man, because that is like your fourth excellent football point in a row. Let's go. So I will see yeah that that becomes interesting in terms of more globally right because you do you do want to play a little bit more man versus rpo because it, it helps in terms of making sure you have enough bodies to stop the run and then you say how oh, does kendall fuller match up with slayton and he does not match up with slayton well That's like his kryptonite right he doesn't like to play super fast wide receivers and slayton is kind of that super fast wide receiver body type and you know benjamin saint juice has shown an ability to handle that but of those guys you mentioned who is the guy you say oh we want to match up in this And maybe you feel like you don't need to against this team. Maybe you feel like you can just bend but don't break and bleed them out and they're going to make a mistake and you're going to be able to capitalize on it. But that is an interesting dynamic for sure. And you say, well, Forrest has done a good job. Maybe you can insulate some of that. Who knows? But that's something if you're a fan, just keep an eye on that. Like what's their solution for a guy who's maybe not a top receiver, but he has a, a trait that can be very damaging um, in terms of, uh, you know, the Giants scoring points.
2: Yeah, and especially if they want to hit some of those big plays, and you know Kendall can't run with them down the field, that becomes uh, right. becomes reminiscent of what happened earlier in the year. Frankly, yeah. uh, where Kendall got a lot of balls caught in his head, even though he's been great as of late. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, last thing here on the Take Command podcast, Craig Hoffman and Logan Paulson uh, got a YouTube comment uh, the other day, Logan. That you know we get this, we get this pretty frequently. So I figured that I would just, I would just throw it out there for you to address right here on this podcast. <laughs> Although apparently, if I I eat more Wheaties, maybe they'll be talking like this about Craig me soon. Hoffman, yeah. Uh, but someone goes, hey man, that Paulson guy really, really knows his ball. Like, when's he gonna coach? <laughs> uh, which I I hilariously uh or I laugh to that because I think it's hilarious that it's like what well he played 10 years in the league um <laughs> do you think that most guys that play football don't know ball I, I just I genuinely find it funny when like you start to really get into like football football talk and yeah. you know fans who don't hear the game talked about like that on any kind of regular basis because it's just not part of the everyday discussion I get talked to uh, by my bosses when I talk about the game in too much depth on the radio right. because it's it's not digestible but that's what we're here for For on the podcast, but people are like, whoa. It's like, yeah, that's this is how this works. But you were a guy who, you know, 10 years in the league in part because of your brain. Like, yeah, you were Mm. great at throwing your face in there and a fearlessness (laughs) and a strength, and like there's physical physical traits that benefited you as well. But like, you knew the game, you understood it, and that made you a huge asset, uh, far beyond your ability to block a, you know, a a five technique or a three technique. Um so the coaching thing. You, yeah. Do, is that something that's actually interesting to you at some point uh, beyond the high school level that you do it at now?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, first off, it's very flattering when people say that to you. Cause it means a lot, but I also think it's like, you're just kind of, you're kind of peeling back the veil on something that like, if you think I'm smart talking about it, like you should hear Kyle talk about it or Sean, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, you would be like, Logan, you're a total idiot. You know what I'm saying? And again, that's like those guys are you know i don't even know like master genius level football guys right and that's why they're where they're at so um so again like it's cool to hear that um you know i've had opportunities to coach in different places like because i know some of the people that are still coaching like mcdaniels and frank steven smith excuse me down in uh, miami asked me to come down there which would have been a great opportunity but there's also like a, a big time element you know that i think a lot of people don't understand that you're you're like obsessive about football and I am that way, but this is a way for me to kind of manage my obsessive qualities in a more healthy way. Like I can talk a couple times a week about it with you. I can talk about it with Julie. I can watch a fair amount of film, but I'm not spending an 80 hour work week trying to look for that microscopic edge against whoever we're playing that week. And uh, so that, again, it, I think it's a much more healthy thing for my family, you know, cause like, again, when I played, I, people forget this about me but i'd get up at 5 30 in the morning i'd be in the bu- building by six and i would stay until seven and i did that every single day you know and um i know a lot of people have similar work schedules but i was missing and so i'd stay till seven so i wouldn't be home till 7 o'clock i'd miss the kids bedtime you know all that kind of stuff so now i'm trying to balance family in a different way and like you said, I do coach at high school, right? And that's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding, and in some ways, it's more rewarding than it would be at the NFL because you can actually help people grow. And as a coach, Greg, you also can relate to that, yeah. I'm sure, because like when I have clients, like some people, are like, oh, why do you train like Susie, soccer mom, as a strength conditioning coach? And for me, it's like because you can see growth, you can see change, like as opposed to when I train like an NFL guy, it's more just like about managing and tweaking which is also very fun but the the progress is something that i think you can speak to as well like there's something very fulfilling about this level of coaching
2: yeah it's it's pretty cool to say like yeah i trained an nfl guy and that's on my resume and it gives you you know clout you know for me obviously you've got that already built in because you played whether that's correct or not because just because you played doesn't mean you know what you're doing in the weight room and there are plenty of nfl guys that can prove that. Um, (laughs) but you know, the, the rewards you get from whether it's helping a a division one, you know, prospect get that scholarship offer or just their parent, um, be in less pain. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that, that progress, that, you know, ability to maintain a lifestyle, that ability to get out of pain, that ability to watch someone master and own a skill. Like, it's super rewarding um, on the coaching front at the quote-unquote lower levels. But, you know, one of the things that makes a coach in that field great is like you don't care whether you're helping someone score the game winning goal in the World Cup or win a Super Bowl or keeping you know help them put their socks on easier in the morning right. like, they get to set the goals and if you help them achieve them like that's where the reward comes from but I I, do, I definitely don't think people realize in the NFL like the time commitment that it takes that yeah. you know we'd, we'd as media get there um, you know in the middle of the day and like they've already been there for hours and we would go home and uh, you know after all the press conferences and everything and, and there were times even you know my first year on the beat working for 980 the first time around um i would sometimes host night shows and we had a studio at the park and so i would be there until 10 o'clock at night because i was hosting a 7 to 10 radio show
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and the coaches were still there right like sean would still be there uh jay would still be there like there's a ton of cars in the parking lot at 10 o'clock at night or like, you know, you'd have to have someone let you in the building to go, go take a leak in between segments. Yeah. And you know, the OC's walking past the door and you're waving. You're like, Hey, can you let me in? I'm just going to the bathroom real quick. And they're like, oh. yeah, Hey, here you go. So like, you, you know, once you see that, if you've been around an NFL building, even for a couple of days um, randomly throughout a season to host a radio show at night, mm-hmm. what kind of time commitment we're talking about here? Um, and that's just, it's just different. And the family life balance stuff is, uh, it's pretty nasty. Uh, um, yeah, it's so pretty nasty, but it's a,
1: its also, it's also really exciting. And you know, yeah. another thing to your point, but it's, like, the, it's uh, the
2: highest level of the profession. So like, right. I get it as well. That's yeah. not like a knock on guy. Not, not if all coaches are right. bad family people.
1: It's, and so there are some really cool things about it, but like, you know, like at this point in my life, like I, I want to prioritize my family. So that's why I'm not doing it. And then the other thing is like when I was in San Francisco, every single coach had a I don't know if I told you the story. They had a cot in their office. Mm. And, you know, you could tell the guys had slept there, you know, like, because, what is it? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday are the big game plan nights, So guys would just crash there at the facility and then get up and, you know, bang it out in the morning. And it's just like, that's fun. That's cool. You're with the guys, you're building something. And that's awesome. And that's really exciting to me. But it's also like, man, you know, like it's hard to justify, yeah. you, know? you also want
2: to go to your kid's hockey practice yes, and, and right. have him feel supported by dad <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, and not have your wife ready to kill you. Cause she's got to do everything <laughs> that's
1: probably, else. That's probably the main one. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but you know, I thought that was a, a fun little discussion. Um, cause people ask about it with frequency and now we can just cut this little clip up and be like, does Logan want to coach title? Okay, good. Yeah. Check, uh, save this link somewhere, bookmark it. Hey, Logan, do you want to coach? Reply with comment, link. That's what we're going (laughs) to do every time from now on. Uh, if you want more insight from us, since Logan Logan wants to share it with us instead of, you know, trying to find that little edge with an 80-hour workweek, uh, make sure you're subscribed, whatever it is that you're listening or watching right now. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, the free Odyssey app. We'll see you for more insight and information and a full game preview on Sunday for Countdown to kickoff starting at 10 a.m. on the Team 980 and 1067 The Fan. Of course, I'm on Monday through Friday on the Team 980 for the Hoffman Show as well. We'll see you then and there, wherever it is that we'll see you next. This has been Take Command from Odyssey Sports.